welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, Sona and I will be discussing the third episode of this second season of Yellow Jackets, an episode called Digestif. A little uh, digestif after our a, a large meal. Sometimes you need a little something to <laughs> help you process all that <laughs> those meat sweats you're having. Yeah. <laughs> Just a small reminder that we continue to also cover Succession here on the same podcast. And we have some new listeners. So if you're watching both shows, do, do remember to subscribe so you get notifications when those episodes come out. Conveniently, Showtime gives us this episode a little bit earlier or else we'd be watching both of these shows on Sundays. And boy, <laughs> that would be quite exhausting. Who has the stamina for that? <laughs> well, I might have to because I'm also planning on covering Barry on Sunday nights. It's coming on right after Succession. Also, it's final season. And uh, they're wrapping up almost on the same day or within a week of each other. So it's going to be wow. it's gonna be a rough Good go for the next, next few weeks. And before we get into the breakdown today, I had one more recommendation for you, Sona. I thought you would really enjoy this. There is a new show on Netflix. I don't usually recommend Netflix content, to be honest with you. But I've been very curious about this. It had gotten some early, very positive responses. And I was curious about it. This is a show called Beef. That's available just this week, just premiered. It is from Lee Sung Jin, created by him. And he's one of the writers on uh, the show Dave, which just came back this week. And I got to say, I watched the first two episodes of the premiere. Dave season two, I was a little, I loved season one, got a little tired of season two. And these first two episodes of season three, I might be like, maybe I'll catch up on this at the end of the season. Maybe not even. I, I think it's maybe run its course for me. However... He did go and make this show Beef, and I really, really was impressed by this series. This is a story of Ali Wong and Stephen Yoon, who are coming at things from two very different directions. You have Stephen Yoon, who is someone who has tried everything and failed at everything. And meanwhile, you have Ali Wong, who is about to have this giant deal. She's a hugely successful entrepreneur but is utterly exhausted with her life after trying to strive so much and still feeling unsatisfied with everything she's achieved. Meanwhile, Stephen Yun, almost even be, without realizing it initially, is someone who envies her and hates her too for what she's achieved. And they are literally on a collision course. They get into a road rage incident in episode one. And this leads to just a season's worth of just utterly crazy situations. I honestly wondered in episode one, after episode one, or whether they could sustain this for an entire 10 episodes, which is what the series was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It totally does. Uh, it, the only only ding I would say for you specifically, Sona, is that the show does start to- Talk about cannibalism? No, no, no. <laughs> it definitely goes a little surreal in the very last episode, but it flirts with it even earlier on. And I think that might be a little bit of a turnoff for you. But what I would say is that it flirts with, that, flirts with it without really making it important to how you read the the series. Definitely, I think the first five or six episodes you would absolutely love. It expands the story that as you feel reach these two, you, as you meet these two characters, but then as we see the people who are tangential to them, that they have their own issues that they're dealing with. And I really like this. This is really something thematically we've seen in The White Lotus and in Fleischman is in Trouble and in uh, The Big Door Prize right now, another show that we're watching that I feel is like really a big theme uh, on these kind of post-COVID series that we're seeing now, which is interesting. I thought that there would be a bunch of shows about pandemics and viruses mm -hmm, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And what we've been finding is maybe like a lot of people have been like reassessing <laughs> their lifestyles, you know, after mm -hmm. the, the pandemic, because it seems to be a theme that we see more and more. And I, I'm here for it. I really do appreciate that because it's things that, you know, when you get to middle age, you do start to reassess your decisions <laughs> as a person. And uh, I think that the show really explores it in, in a very funny way. It, it's pretty dark comedy, but it is very comedic. It doesn't get too dark. It, it flirts with it. I would say that almost every single episode ends on a semi-cliffhanger where you're like, wow, this show is going to go really dark. And I think it's almost like a hook for the next episode because it never goes as dark as you think mm -hmm. it's actually going to go. Mm -hmm. And to its credit, I mean, I, that's why I kind of felt like, how long can they drag this on for? The interesting thing about it is that even when people are doing terrible things, it keeps in touch with their humanity. Like you see that they're deep down inside, they want to be good people. And that actually makes them very empathetic 
So I really did uh, enjoy this a lot. And I thought it was terrific. This is a really impressive series. It, it definitely gets some things wrong. But uh, in general, I was really, really impressed by just the issues it's trying to address. Oh, and for you, Sona, as well, you just brought it up, uh, I think, in one of our most recent conversations, the idea of this like toxic positivity. Mm-hmm, that is definitely mm-hmm. something that's addressed here as well. This idea that, you know, even when you self-critique and you think like, why am I complaining? Like, I should be happy. And uh, that's something that the Ali Wong character definitely deals with multiple times throughout the show. But then even the people who are critical of her start to reveal their own histories and their own, uh, the complexity of those characters as well. And there's a lot of empathy here for these characters, even as they do absolutely terrible, terrible things. So it is, uh, you know, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. I would highly recommend it for you and for anybody, actually. Yeah, I think I probably will watch it. And especially because I do like to watch projects featuring Asian American casts, because I think it's helpful just generally to have viewership on those shows and programs so that um, people are encouraged to keep making them and keep giving Asian American actors these opportunities. So I have two reasons to watch. (laughs) This show, by the way, is so smart about that, where they come at each other like there's this jealousy of each other because they are prejudging each other as Asians. And Mm -hmm. then within the context of the show, you'll see that they'll be like, oh, of course, her husband's Japanese. So there's all this like internal (laughs) (laughs) Asian on Asian uh, stereotyping, which is really clever. And then on top of that, they have these times where they're, they almost like look at the audience, us, but also like white audience in general, white America, as like, how dare they put us all in the same bucket. And then of course, they will stereotype each other, but then there's also these like sub stereotypes And then even though they come from very, very different backgrounds, there's an amazing episode, this beautiful episode around halfway through where they've kind of gotten to their worst point. And we suddenly flash back and we see them both when they're just babies with their parents. And you Mm -hmm. see this, the commonality of these two very different families, but that they're these immigrants and they have this immigrant story and they're putting all their hopes of their, this life in the US on these children. So there's this thing that they're not aware of, but that all of a sudden the show is addressing how they have this common history, which they're not even aware of. Like they're, they're not seeing that. Anyway, it's, it's terrific. I I really, really, really impressed by this show. I'm definitely going to watch it. Yeah. And by the way, check out minimally episode one, episode one ends on this incredible needle drop. It has great use of music. I love shows that really are conscientious of how they use music. They have one great needle drop after another, especially at the end of each one of these episodes. These two characters we discover are really, really in desperate straits after almost like avoiding going to their worst versions of themselves. We hear The Reason by Hoobastank comes on, a song Mm -hmm. that I've totally forgotten about, but it's like a love song. And mm-hmm. it's incredible, like the music crescendos. And it's like, I found the reason to live. And it's mm-hmm. so funny. It's like, it's this love song. But in the context of the show, it's like these people were like in a really, really dark place. And now their hatred for each other. I've found a new reason <laughs> to motivating live. motivating them. <laughs> it's incredible. I laughed out loud at this needle drop. It was so incredible. And, and by the way, that's just episode one. There's a, every episode uses music in really, really clever ways. Okay, before we get into this episode, I have one more thing I wanted to cover with you, or a few more things I wanted to cover with you. This is this type of show that gets a lot of conversation going on the social medias and on the conspiracy theory boards, etc. So I wanted to touch on a few things from last week's episode. Okay. First of all, Callie is 17. <laughs> you were absolutely correct. Yay! And apparently this would have been mentioned that her date of birth, her year of birth was 2004 in some Uh-oh. episode last season, so... I didn't remember that. I wasn't saying she was like 30. <laughs> I meant that she was like, maybe she's still underage, but maybe she's 20. Maybe she is in college. And uh, no, she's 17 years old. She's definitely a high school student. And uh, apparently they've explicitly stated her age here on the show before, which I was not, I did not remember. Well, I always feel like you are the more detail oriented one between the two of us. So I'm very proud of myself that I got something right. I am, however, terrible with dates and names. So uh, good with plot details, terrible with dates. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the next thing is, this is another thing that got memed all over the internet, but apparently when we see Kyle in bed with Kaylee, he has a giant vat of lotion <laughs> on his nightstand, and apparently this was a bit of a conversation on the uh, message boards. If not, when you have your girlfriend over, just think about your mom having to straighten up your room every single day, <laughs> and the question to you, Sona, is, 
if you walk into your boyfriend's room, there's a giant vat of moisturizer on his nightstand, and he didn't even thought, think of putting it away before you showed up. Is this a deal breaker? <laughs> Is this the reason that Callie's breaking up with him, do you think? I mean, I don't think it's a deal breaker, but I don't think it's ideal. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have really dry skin. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> Very bad eczema as a child. You have to keep moisturized multiple times a day. That could, you know what? He may have eczema and this could be a very, very generous read on your behalf. So. Okay. Next thing I wanted to bring up was we, of course, found out that Sean is seven months pregnant and they were on yes. the way to a tournament. So that's usually October, soccer tournaments wrap up in November. But of course, you also have homecoming, which is usually September or October. I think October usually because of basketball season. So theoretically, this is like March, right, in their timeline. So we should be seeing a thaw pretty soon, hopefully, for their sake anyway. That math makes sense to you, no? Yes. And I also feel like in this recent episode, there's a comment about this might be the reason we made it through the winter. That led me to believe the winter is it's over, coming right? to an end soon. Although by the amount of snow on the ground, I don't know. But, but they are yes. on a mountain. They are on a mountaintop. So I think that that has a lot to say about where you're obviously going to have more snow up there. I mean, True. this is like uh, traditionally, this is the best time to go skiing, right? Is towards the end of the season. I will take your word for that because I've never skied in my life. We do hope that uh, <laughs> that thaw comes sooner rather than later, at least for Ben's sake. And we'll get into all that, of course. Hopefully. Okay. Now, some internet theories. First of all, totally forgotten by me until some of these internet sleuths started doing their investigations. The deck of cards they found, when they found that body upstairs, they mentioned that there were no queens in the deck. Apparently, that's traditional. There's, there are some decks that don't have any queens in it, but some people have also said maybe the queens have been removed from the deck for a specific reason. More importantly is, remember, I mentioned that in looking at the credits last week, that there is a queen that has blood on it. And then we see someone burning that card. So once again, why mm -hmm, are there no queens mm -hmm. in the deck? And if they do find a queen, is that somehow you're being designated as the next person um, to, to be eaten potentially? Wow, this is very detail oriented. Um, also <laughs> some references to in this most recent episode about queens, right? Yes, um, I think that that's also important, yeah. I was not aware of this detail and I think I had forgotten that comment, but I would say it must be meaningful that there are no queens in the deck at a minimum. I don't think it's just some random deck that happens to not have queens. That would seem very strange to me to work that into the plot. So <laughs> I think it's it, it will come up in some context, I think. Okay, next internet theory. This one's just more for entertainment value. There's a meme that's going around. You know, there's that joke, why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. Seven, eight, nine, sure. Jackie is number nine <laughs> on the soccer team. Oh, no. Are you serious? <laughs> Natalie is number seven. <laughs> no way. And Shauna is number six. So was six afraid of seven because seven, eight, nine? I mean, they all ate nine. So I don't think that this theory yes. holds water. <laughs> yes. Thais is number That's eight. That's pretty though. funny, though. I like the cleverness of it. Yeah, Thais yes. is eight. I was going to ask. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I just thought it was very funny. It I'm is not sure it's very deep. To be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if the joke is there that they intended the joke, like inside of the show as it's written. But I don't think it's like important to uh, any discovery, you know, of any uh, mythology around it. Yeah. Also, what's up with these soccer numbers? Do they just give them out starting number one? Like usually numbers have some kind of fondness of the person, right? Like it's 17, 25. Like it's not usually six, seven, eight, nine, is it? You know what? I don't have all the numbers, but it does seem like the starting lineup is all pretty much like one through 11, something like that. Wow. Like no room for personal like expression on the Yellow Jackets team. <laughs> yes, okay. Nothing too, uh, nothing too outlandish. All right. Next theory. One is just funny. The other one is um, maybe serious. The first theory is that Ty is definitely the pooper from last, last week. Oh, I don't want reason... to discuss this even, but okay, go ahead. It's entertaining. It won't go. It won't go to anything graphic. It's just because she's the one who like holds up the bo bottle and she's like, "Who did this? Who did this?" And people called out the fact that every time she's like, "Who painted on our house? Who, who, kid who kidnapped our dog?" It's always her. So everybody's like, "It must be her." That's funny. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just to get into that for a second, it could have been that alternate version of her. 
Yes, absolutely. Yes, exactly. I suppose. Yeah, like the shadow, shadow her is like, I did it. (laughs) Just like he's always, this this other persona is always messing with her, right? Right. I beheaded the dog. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Who took your doll? (laughs) The other, maybe more serious version of this, which was actually a little creepy when I heard it. I thought that was kind of cool, which is the idea like who cut her ropes in the middle of the night, right? Uh, We see uh, in today's episode that, you know, it's not like the knots would just come off of her without some assistance. So the question is, you know, whether it's someone who's messing with them in multiple ways, even leaving the feces behind, is there someone else there that they're not aware of? And mm-hmm. is messing with them like at night while they're sleeping, like cutting the ropes and messing with them in other ways. So that actually thought I thought was a kind of cool theory. And that, that could actually explain some of these weird things that are happening. Right, right. And well, this theory has been disproven. There was a theory that Walter is imaginary, which I was like, that better not be the case. But I mean, it's pretty clear. <laughs> well, that had to be a theory from a you viewer. But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yes. <laughs> Everything's unreliable now. Okay, two things I wanted to bring to your attention. One is something that I didn't come up with this, but it was something I was reading in some article, maybe Vulture. Uh, And the other is a defense of some of the styles that you, stylistics you didn't like last week. So on your side, it wasn't as negative as yours, but I thought it was really interesting because it reinforces what you said, which was saying that last week's episode was confused in the way it was put together because we had too many unreliable point of views. And mm-hmm. when they kind of put it all together, they say, okay, look, Shauna is seeing dead Jackie, right? That's one mm-hmm. person who has one version of this hallucination, right? Then you have Thaisa seeing the eyeless man while she's sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. Then we see Thaisa in present day, imagining her son showing up at the house. And once again, mm-hmm. not the eyeless man, a totally different. A different delusion, yes. Then we have the evil POV, uh, you know, wind blowing that blows the snow mm-hmm. down which is not anyone's POV, but still it's just another stylistic anomaly in the show. Then we have the Bacchanal vision that you said, and like, who is that? I'm starting mm-hmm. to think it maybe was Ben's POV, but you know, regardless, mm-hmm. it would still be another POV that isn't really explained. Then Travis sees the glowing Lottie. Oh, and then of course, Lottie in present day has that vision after Travis dies, right? So it's like, how many different people, it's almost like in every single scene, someone has some other type of hallucination or, or imagined situation. And uh, it's all different styles, all for a different reason. It's all like caused by a different situation. It's, it's a yeah, lot it's just, for one episode to, yeah. If and It anyway, feels a little bit, as you were listing it, it feels a lot like a kitchen sink kind of situation. It's Exactly. It's exhausting, right? And for some reason, I had kind yeah. of, maybe because we've seen all these things in different episodes, I didn't really tie it together. But when I read this article and uh, they're talking about how, yeah, it's like all these different people are unreliable narrators for completely different reason. Like one person has a history of schizophrenia. One person has these night terrors. Everybody's got a different reason to be crazy. And it's like, okay, all right, chill, you know, chill. Each one makes sense independently, although I still am negative on the Bacchanal situation. Yes. All together. It's kind of like, whoa. And then you've got the two timelines on top of it. Exactly. And flashbacks within flashbacks, right? Right. Oh, before I get into my defense of the Bacchanal thing, because I did a little Bacchanal research (laughs) and it was pretty interesting. I think I wanted to bring it to your attention. I wanted to call it one more thing that people mentioned, totally missed by me, but people freeze framed it and it made its rounds on the internet, is that when Natalie pulls down her pants and then quickly pulls it back up because of her cut leg. Yes. People noticed that she has leg hair. And people were like saying, thank God these actresses let their legs <laughs> They have in. not shaved for a long time. Although exactly. maybe somebody's travel kit could have survived and they could be, <laughs> yeah, they could be making it work with an old blade for for a little while at least. Well, people made fun of like the, the actors on Lost being like, these people are somehow still getting like their body waxed while they're out on the island. So that it's was like, true. they the looked great on Lost. <laughs> they really did. They all looked incredible. <laughs> and all the guys had haircuts somehow, like none of their yeah, hair was their like hair really growing exactly. in. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. Now here's my defense of the Bacchanal situation. And I did a little research on the history of the Bacchanal and I got really surprised that I think this is all intentional. It's not just another kitchen sink technique. So let me give you a little rundown here. I'm reading this from just an article that I copied and pasted this in from the Maynids. That's what they were called. The Maynids conducted the ritual rending apart of a sacrificial victim at the Bacchanal. Oh, interesting. This was known as the Sparagmos Rite. 
And this was a human sacrifice? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, I did not know their, this. I didn't know either, to be honest. In various instances in their mythology, some notable figures who had been ripped apart in this fashion included Orpheus, a very famous story, obvious. Mm-hmm. The myth of Orpheus's pursuit and dismemberment by the Maenads was a prominent subject in ancient art and is still enjoys exploration in modernity. Here's the other interesting point. The Maenads murdered Orpheus because he chose to worship Apollo instead of Bacchus, the Bacchanal, obviously. So if you want to think about the fact that Jackie, she was one of the most cynical about the whole Lottie situation mm-hmm. early on, maybe because she was getting in the way of the worship of whatever this power is, that maybe that is why she was this first sacrificial victim. Although she obviously didn't die during the rending of the flesh, you know, she died beforehand, but still it kind of lines up pretty closely. It does. So, I mean, that at least justifies it somewhat, but I still am steadfast that I did not like the imagery. Like I just thought it was overwrought and overdone and just too much, but it does make a little more sense. Yeah, it seems more intentional. I do agree in general with the stylistics. Uh, And here's another part I wanted to mention to you, which was other cult practices of the Maenads included ecstatic dancing and Bacchic revelry. But the idea of like ecstatic dancing does make us think of the doom coming from last season. And uh, the wild energy of these rituals was imbued in them by the god who caused his worshipers to experience frenzies and mania. This Mm -hmm. ecstatic worship was accompanied by a cacophony of music and wild yelling that according to scholars, the goal of this ritual was to induce a frenzied state in which the worshipers could become closer to Bacchus. This style of worship was observed in festivals such as the Bacchanalia of the Romans. According to the Roman author Livy, the Bacchanalia festival was only open to women and lasted for three days. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I ever realized that, you know, even though Travis is in the imagery, by the way, but that's still, you know, this is vast, right, this is right, right. exclusively women who are partaking. And of course, the Bacchanal was for women only. So mm. it just makes me feel like this is more intentional, even if it wasn't perfectly executed. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you there. It does seem very intentional. And I did start to think in reading that, that we do see we are cutting between Ben and them, and of course, tearing apart. So I do wonder if this is Ben, who we also see having a lot of visions this week, that he is seeing this and, you know, he's probably has, he's an English major or something, and he's thinking of the Bacchanal when he is seeing, witnessing this. Mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fair point, And that's something I hadn't thought of. All right. So that's all the notes I had, notes I had from last week. I hope that was useful. Mm-hmm, very interesting. So now in this episode, Digest Thief, we open, we see Ben and his boyfriend, who we've never seen before here, by the way. <laughs> like, did, you didn't notice the cumin in the clam chowder, which I guess is kind of a trick question because you probably don't want cumin in your clam chowder, but I definitely would have missed the subtlety of that test. I mean, cumin is such a distinct taste. Yeah. People who are familiar with Middle Eastern food, Indian food, you can easily pick out the taste of cumin. Not everybody is up on their herb flavors what they right? are exactly exactly yeah so i could understand not knowing that cumin is so distinct it is almost impossible to miss although when spoken aloud i mean this is also the 90s so i don't think people were as adept at you know we we, we don't Fair. we probably didn't have the food that were running constantly in our homes back then okay speaking of annoying techniques that we've never seen before the same stylistics we see in the credits where we see noise from like an old television screen we see it not only, we'd love to get your feedback on this because I know how this annoyed you last week. We see it not only in Ben's point of view, which I guess you could yes. say, all right, if it was only in Ben's point of view, but later on we see like Natalie and Lottie walking around the compound and they use the same technique. So what? Are, where are they going with that? that? And it's so weird. They obviously have put that stylistic even more pronounced in the credits. Yes. So maybe they're going somewhere with that, but it seemed really jarring to me this week. Yeah, I don't know if I ever really noticed it, except in the credits before this. Was it the first time they've ever done this? I think so. I think I, I don't think I've ever noticed it before. I don't know. I guess since Ben's flashback ends up being part flashback, part fantasy, is that some... Right. I don't know if it's tied to that somehow. If it was only from his POV, I would have accepted it. It's that when it is also in... Lottie and Natalie's interactions that I start thinking like, once again, if that stylistic is across multiple storylines, then what does that mean? It's it's very odd. I mean, Lottie also 
is delusional at some point. But again, at this point, as we just recounted, who isn't delusional in this show? So if it's some indicator of like an alternate reality, because everybody has an alternate reality, so that isn't consistent. I mean, someone is going to have a Reddit board on this also. And I'm also pretty certain that they're going somewhere with this because it's just weird that they would not only lock it only to Ben's POV, but we see it across other parts of the episode also. So maybe it'll become more and more pronounced over time. Just weird to be introducing it here anyway, and maybe unnecessary, to be honest with you, in my opinion. I do agree. It probably is unnecessary unless there's some big revelation coming about the use of that device. It does seem gratuitous or extraneous, rather. Yes, exactly. So we do see the next morning, the body of Jackie has been like gnawed down to the bone. Like th- this is yikes! Extreme. That hand, right? Oh yeah. my goodness! <laughs> Once again, <laughs> Taisa wakes up and is like, "Who did this?" Taisa, <laughs> <laughs> was you? You ate her face. My God, she ate her face. Yes, but I mean, this is something where, okay, I know these are high school kids, but Van, like, have you not been paying attention to what is happening with this lady? Her surprise and just the way she dealt with it to me was like, have you not noticed all the sleepwalking, the threats to your physical safety that, you know, I mean, like it's, it just seems strange that it's like she's learning for the first time how delusional (laughs) Thaisa can be. (laughs) I mean, that to me was strange. And I think poorly handled. Poor Thaisa is actually throwing up over this. And, yeah, exactly. you know, and she's just kind of like rubbing salt in the wound. Of, <laughs> you know, she's not giving her any time to process before throwing in. You ate her face. Don't go right into the face eating right away. Right? Like, you know she's, she's still absorbing what happened here. And I mean, yeah, it's like she doesn't seem to tie together all of the past behavior with the thing that happened the middle of the previous night. Like, well, what else has been <laughs> happening in the middle of the night, Van? Van, maybe not the sharpest night. Probably not. I like that Mari and these new girls, by the way, are now being fleshed out. It just makes me feel like they're just being introduced because so that will feel a little bit worse when they get eaten, to be honest with you. But Mari, this uh, one girl, she says, I guess no one wants breakfast. <laughs> I don't know if that was intended to be a joke, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> I will say I'm having a hard time. I need to see Mari a little bit more. I'm getting a little bit confused between Mari and Lottie, which I fully admit I have like a face blindness issue. It's a little bit too close for me. Is that crazy? I mean, there are some similarities. Here, I did know it was Mari in this particular situation, but there was like a scene in the previews that I was like, maybe it's Mari, maybe it's Lottie, maybe it's another girl I don't even remember. I don't know, but we can talk about that later. Yeah, I agree when they are, you know, when they're on screen and having a whole conversation, they're easy to differentiate. But sometimes when they're quick cutting, like it is- Exactly. In a quick flash, it's hard for me to to distinguish them. But I actually thought there was a lot funny about this episode, especially in the first half. Yes. I mean, maybe not in the past, but in the present, there's a lot of comedy here for yeah. sure. So they're getting rid of the body. Uh, wouldn't I mean, not to be too crude about this, but I mean, there's got to be something left on those bones. And don't you want to like make a stew or something? I know this. Is I was thinking me- <laughs> too, bone broth of some sort or a stock. I mean, yes, this is grim, but we've already come this far. You already did it. You already did it. <laughs> you might, don't throw it away now. Anyway. All right. By the way, Misty makes the same argument later on. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like you're not out of the woods, literally or figuratively yet. (laughs) So why not? Instead, Natalie's going to take the bodies back to the plane. I do like this excuse that, hey, at least if you put it back with the plane, people will think they died during the plane crash. I'm like, I'm pretty sure no one's going to confuse the body (laughs) with the other ones that they find after the plane crash. You know, the bones bundled up in a sack. I don't think... I have paid enough attention to Ben's character to know if he was being sarcastic or joking (laughs) or seriously thinking, well, this is good. She'll blend right in. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) They must have folded themselves into bags before the plane crash. (laughs) So Nat uh, takes the body back to the plane. A few things happen here. She says to her bones or to her body, to her remains, she's lucky that she got out when she did because she has a feeling things are going to get much worse. And she also says, thank you. If we survive because of this, well, then thank you, which is kind of sweet. Right. She then has, once again, hallucinations all over the place. She hallucinates this giant white moose. She tries to shoot it. Of course, it's not really there. Or it does and it just disappears. So it's either a mystical moose or it did never exist in the first place. 
Once again, just <laughs> another vision that someone else is having here. You know, I just recently learned the scale of a moose to a human being. I don't know how big <laughs> I thought they were, but like they really are massive. Oh, yeah. They would like eat that for a very long time. <laughs> she, that would be like a dream come true to kill one of, one of those. Right. That night, Van lets Thaisa loose. Thaisa wakes up in the middle of the night. She's having another vision. And she communicates with this dark half of Thaisa, which can speak. I, for some reason, just assume it would be non-communicative, but it actually can speak. She starts asking her questions. She says that he chose me. So what that means, we don't know. And Van asks her if he's allowed to take possession of her. He says, only when she lets me. And she goes, mm-hmm. who is she? Says, she is Thaisa. She's Thaisa, then who are you? This persona doesn't respond. Thaisa does wake up eventually. And it's another one of these markings in the middle of the woods. So somehow, whatever's happening, we actually see this in the trailer for next week. Van says to her, whatever's happening here is connected to something deep inside of you. And that really does seem to be the case now, right? Like that Thaisa has been drawn to these symbols multiple times. I mean, you could imagine that's possible. She's gone exploring and has seen these things subconsciously and now is going back out there, but seems unlikely. These seem to be places that the girls have not traveled to. She's always heading to these places that have these markings. It's some kind of connection to Thaisa. So maybe Mm -hmm. this mythology is starting to come together in some way. I'm not excited about this supernatural aspect of the show. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I thought this was well done. I thought it was interesting. I just am not looking forward to how this is going to develop into a driver of what's happening in the plot. Right, right. I would much prefer the plot is just real world based. For me, we discussed this previously, but for me, the most interesting parts of the show are just these girls trying to deal with this trauma and they can hang it around this mythology. And that was my concern with the first two episodes of the season and maybe even this third one as well. So much of the show now is being driven by the mythology. And some people complained in season one that there wasn't so much mythology. It was mostly just these girls and this mystery and who's manipulating them, who's called... you know, the way things wrapped up in season one, it may not have even been something supernatural going on. And now it's, of course, starting to be that every episode we have multiple layers of some kind of conspiracy going on. So I almost would rather they get it all out in the open now so that we can get back into seeing these girls once again, just dealing with this trauma in both timelines, knowing full well that what this darkness is that's coming for them rather than just playing it. Like, is it this, is it this other thing? You know, is it aliens? Like, I I don't want to spend like years trying to unravel that because when, like to your point, the more the show is just about, well, what could it possibly be? It's the less engaged I'm with the characters. This is just my personal perspective, but when it turns out to be something supernatural, I always find it less satisfying for some reason. Mm -hmm than like a real world driven plot. Like it just seems like it gives too much wiggle room and gray area for there to be loose ends and things that were never um, fully explained and and all of that. Yeah, you could get away with more too. I I don't need every I to be dotted and T to be crossed, but like most of them, you know? (laughs) Yeah, right, right. So still in the past here, we'll try to wrap up that timeline before we move into the present where most of the really entertaining stuff happens intentionally and unintentionally. Uh, Lottie tells Shauna that it's what Jackie wanted. Shauna still feels bad that she like wanted it too. Seems like she's saying that she wanted it in more ways than one. Like she kind of really <laughs> wanted to eat her, which is kind of <laughs> creepy. <laughs> but let me take your mind off of that, Shauna. Let's have a baby shower. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, we see another one of these new girls that have been you know introduced here, Akila, and she's talking to Ty mm-hmm. about her nephew that she misses. And once again, very sweet scene, but I feel yes. like they're just fleshing these people out so that when we kill them, we'll feel be worse about it. Possibly. I haven't haven't kept so up to date on the casting, but I feel like they casted several adult actresses. So I assume that some of them at least are supposed to be older versions of these girls. I'm, I'm not certain about that either, to be honest. And then we have Another one of these new characters, maybe the most entertaining one, Misty's new best friend, Crystal. Misty's like, you know, I thought we should make some broth out of Jackie's leftovers, but I was overruled. And Crystal <laughs> goes, hey, it would seem to be a good idea. You always <laughs> want to have some extra snacks at a baby mm-hmm. shower. Misty even says, hey, you know what? It wasn't uh, It wasn't even that bad, no, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Crystal goes, no, it wasn't that bad. And I got to tell you, this is not the first time I ate another person. And then you're like, whoa, what does this mean? 
means that she <laughs> absorbed her twin in, in yes. utero. And she comes up with the best baby shower gift that Misty could give. And of course, that baby shower gift is doing a monologue from Steel Magnolias, <laughs> which starts off embarrassingly on the nose in some ways or in unintentionally, but actually gets surprisingly poignant by the end of it. Steel Magnolias is a movie that I started and didn't finish. I think I've it just happened to be... Yeah, I think it happened to be on TV one day and then I had to leave and go somewhere. And so I just never finished it. I think of it as like kind of a terms of endearment type of situation, mm -hmm. which I'm not sure if you've which seen, that, seen one, that. that one, but I have seen that one. Extremely sad movie. <laughs> and, um, you know, some key scenes about the woman. I don't, spoiler alert from a movie from the 80s. I don't know. But um, somebody dies in terms of endearment. And there are some scenes around it that are very, very famous. So I kind of think of it, you know, in that same grouping in my mind. And yeah, I agree that by the end of the monologue, having not seen the movie, I don't know if the girls have seen the movie in the in the television show, but like the girls, I was wrapped at Misty's monologue and I found it quite moving. Meanwhile, Ben is hallucinating that he never got on that plane and accepted his boyfriend's offer to move in with him. Mm -hmm. So, of course, now once again, just sliding from, like you mentioned earlier, a memory to an actual fantasy at this point. And which makes me yeah. think that Ben is really not going to last much longer. I had the same thought that like, are these the final thoughts he's having yes. as he's yeah. fading away, kind of. All right, let's move into present tense. We have Lottie and she's helping Trinity, one of these people, another religious name, by the way, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost mm. from uh, Christianity. She's letting her breathe through her pain. And Natalie, by the way, even though she's never been a believer, she is peeking in on that window, maybe has always had this kind of jealousy that why are other people able to be cured by this woman? And she's never had that feeling or that, that compulsion. So I definitely feel like she wants to, um, to, to participate. And maybe Lottie knows this is why she's feeling that over time, if she keeps her there long enough, that she'll start to, or get Natalie to ingratiate herself with the, into the, this cult. She does snoop around and she notices that Charlotte's headquarters have antlers on the outside. It's interesting because of the whole antler queen thing that we saw. Mm -hmm. By the way, did you see, this is absolutely hysterical. Did you see when like Natalie was looking for any of these clubs she might want to join? And Lottie says, why don't you come and hang out and see the, the beekeepers? And the way that Juliette Lewis walks away from that board. Did you see this? No. Oh my God. She saunters away. It's, I, I never seen anyone walk this way in my life. It's, 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 it's hysterical. You have to track it down. I'll, I'll I think I've my... been too distracted. This is in the, the current timeline, right? Yes. Yes. Um, I've been too distracted by that sheer kimono like yes, thing yes, that she's yes. been wearing because she's been wearing it, you know, for episodes now. <laughs> right. And every time I think, I just think teen Natalie would be surprised that adult Natalie has yes, that kind of yes. taste because it seems very New Jersey suburban, like Natalie would be too cool to wear something like that. Although she does seem to have leather pants on, but Every time you see that sheer black and white kimono type thing, I'm thrown by it as like not seeming to fit with what I feel like Natalie should be wearing. And I get distracted by it. <laughs> she does, by the way, Natalie does kind of an indicator that she might be coming to the dark side or the purple side. She actually wears like a purple shawl at one point towards the end of the episode. So maybe this is just the beginning of her indoctrination. It's like the the color there is indicator. That, that maybe. Maybe. That way. But there's a lot of way cooler black clothes than that thing that she's got on. Oh, but yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so Natalie does go check out the beekeepers. And that's when we hear Lottie talk about the new queen has to kill all the other queens. So this is interesting going back to the, you mentioned it already, the playing card, the idea of no queens. And also the idea that Lottie replaced Jackie as the queen bee. Right. And I think that's something that was not really in the vernacular back in the earlier timeline. But now I think it's pretty accepted to call certain high school girls queen bees. Right, exactly. Meanwhile, Thaisa is day sleeping at one point. Oh, yikes. <laughs> like sleeping, standing up. Simone has survived the car crash and is recovering. She put a marking, that marking, the one that we've seen over over the place, onto Simone's hand, unaware. She did this while she was unconscious again. And then, of course, Thaisa's in 
the bathroom, looks in the mirror and sees her dark half. Once again, this mirror imagery where the image is doing something different to her and is mouthing to her, go to her, go to her. And she doesn't understand what she's trying to say. And then she puts his fingers over her eye and over her forehead. Mm-hmm. And how did, how did you read this? I thought that was Van's, the way that Van gauzed her face after the bear attack, right? With the gauze over her eye and over her head. And maybe, is she going to see Van? Is that where she's headed? Oh, I thought she was trying to physically create that symbol. Oh, good point. Yes, it does look like the symbol, but it also looks like Van's bandages. So I wonder if there's a corollary between those two things also. Yeah, maybe. I hadn't thought of that. Interesting. Yeah, but it does kind of have the symbol as well. Anyway, does anybody notice that Thais's eyes periodically turn that red color? Or is that something (laughs) that is only visible to us? I don't. Is it actually red? I don't think her eye color changes, does it? Yeah, you haven't noticed this when it's evil Thaisa. They have this red tinge to the pupils. Maybe they're just putting it in for us for our benefit because uh, I mean, that but is, that uh, seems like a really bizarre <laughs> dead giveaway. <laughs> I, I don't know what to make of it. At first, I thought it was like part of the delusion or something, but now right. it seems to me like they've done it so many times that they literally turn red, which is quite a tip off that you're dealing with evil Thaisa, but. Okay. To your point, maybe it is just a stylistic thing so that we're not confused as viewers that, you know, we know what's going on. Yeah, maybe. And of course, after she communes with her dark half, she's like, I need the keys. She goes talk to her assistant. Her assistant's like, you should not be driving right now, considering that we're just basically trying to do damage control on your last accident. (laughs) (laughs) But she hands her the keys anyway. (laughs) Okay. Now here is the most entertaining. Well, there's another entertaining segment here too, but for me, the most absolutely hilarious part of this whole entire show, and what I've been looking forward to the most, maybe since episode one, Misty and Walter. This whole thing is terrific. <laughs> it is terrific, but I don't even think it was the funniest part of this episode. But yes. Yes, there's, there's something else, yes, that I think is pretty hilarious also. But that gets so dark. <laughs> we'll get to it. Though. It does. It does. So it turns out the long-term resident at the hotel, by the way, this was also something that the internet sleuths had already figured out because they're so smart. That, of course, the long-term resident is Randy, (laughs) who's been living in that motel because we know he's been kicked out from last season and he's been living there. Walter has invited Misty to question him. This is hilarious. Once again, that she's like, oh, you know, he's on a boat. I want to be able to get out when I need to. He's going to have the interrogation on the boat. (laughs) And as soon as he sees this, she sees that it's Randy. She's like, oh, crap. Like, I know him. So she has to go hide in the bathroom on the boat. He gives her the phone and puts the earpiece in and they're able to communicate with each other while that's going on. She's like telling him, hit him, hit him. (laughs) When he uh, says anything about Natalie's probably just like getting high on drugs. She always had drug problems. And she's like, (laughs) Misty is truly loyal to these women who probably don't like her that much, but she really does have some obvious affection for them. I love that, you know, once again, Walter, really, really intelligent, incredible, you know, sleuth, but not great at improvising where he's like saying, oh, uh, after she tells him to hit him, he goes and says, forgive me, I have IBS. So just runs to the bathroom. Uh, and then I love just imagining this from Randy's point of view, where he goes to the bathroom and she goes, trust me, he's like a bully. He only understands bad cop. You have to go out there. And he immediately supposedly comes back to the bathroom because it was IBS and just starts slapping him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine Randy's reaction to this? Like, what is going on? <laughs> well, I think he literally does say, what the F, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even backing up further, you've gone to some random boat where there's an FBI yes. agent in mm-hmm. shorts and a, <laughs> a well, shorts Randy's and a not t-shirt, a genius. essentially. You know? I mean, yeah, none of it is adding up. Then Misty wants to say that, uh, <laughs> to suggest that he uses a maritime law as a, an excuse that he, he can torture him when he's like, you know, yes. a, a, like attached to still attached to the dock, not even like in, in inter- international waters or anything. Pretty hilarious. But once again, Randy's not so smart. And Walter just happens to have like a craniotomy saw. Like, <laughs> what was that? And why does he have it? I don't know what that was, to be honest. <laughs> it's like a boat but saw, he... basically. <laughs> Do you think? Or was it a tool for the boat of some sort? No, it's a bone, it's a bone saw. So, I mean, I, you know. Uh, well, that's I, upsetting. Maybe, maybe you can use, I mean, maybe you can generically use it for other things. But that's that's my association to it. Yikes. So Randy cracks as much as he can. He really doesn't know anything that's going on here. He does mention that there were some weirdos in purple hanging around a van, drinking all the Fanta. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the only useful information he has. But of course, we know that that actually is a useful piece of information. Yes, very useful. 
Also, I wonder if Walter keyed in on this. The very first thing that he says when he gets on the boat, he goes, is this about Jeff? So I do yes. wonder if that's going to be a little breadcrumb for, for Walter later. Yes. And I think, you know, Misty very quickly tried to redirect, uh, yeah, not only exactly. because she wanted to know the stuff about Natalie, but also because nothing good was going to come from Randy starting to talk about Jeff. Exactly. After thinking, wow, what a waste of time. She has that final conversation with him. Now night has fallen there as well. She thinks, wait a second, maybe those people with all the Fanta, maybe there's a credit card charge that will lead us to somebody. And that turns out to be a useful clue, actually. And then he also brings up, while we're being honest with each other, well, how, what, how can we keep downvoting my mm-hmm. theories about Adam? Misty comes up with a story, not as good an actress here, by the way, as she was when she was a kid, apparently, that she's like, I know his mom. And he seems to buy in with this, but he seems to be a better actor than her. He's fooled her completely. He thought that that woman was her, his mom. But he, she also asks then, why such an elaborate ruse just to get to know me? And he says, because he's Moriarty and he's been looking for his Sherlock Holmes. Aww. Which is interesting because it sounds sweet, except Moriarty was his nemesis. So I do wonder right. if this is potentially legitimately on the surface. He's not looking for a romantic connection, but he's looking for someone who he can be an antagonist to, right? Because regardless of his intentions right now, he might be telling us something about the direction the show's going to go in. It would be more natural if you wanted to be on the same team to say, I'm a Watson looking for a Sherlock, but then you'd be kind of putting yourself in a secondary position. Also, I was wondering, speaking of, you know, who's acting like they know what, if maybe, and I don't know what made me think this, he knows maybe that Adam's mom is not around or, you know, died or something like that. Right. He also seems to receive this story from her. And like you said, there seems to be something crosses on his face where he knows she's lying to him. So I'm very excited to see the way this relationship goes. Probably the thing I'm most vested in this show. But of course, we have other things to talk about too. We have to talk about Shauna and Jeff, of course. I loved everything about this. Everything. So much of this is hilarious. We st- And by the way, even when it gets dark, it, one of the best scenes, maybe the best scene in the episode as well. Yes. I love this conversation they have at the diner where Jeff has like gone back. What's that thing you say in law where you go back and you think about the the inciting event. The proximate cause or the last best chance. Yeah. <laughs> so his proximate cause for her cheating on him was that he said no to the strawberry lubricant. <laughs> because it's for bisexuals and goths. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if he only said yes, none of this would have happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I mean, as like you said, as we've talked about, I think it is very human to try and trace back, like, when was the last (laughs) chance I had to not find myself sitting here today? So I do think it's very relatable. And I also like what she says after in explaining herself and why she had the affair. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it touched upon something that we've talked about before in connection with Fleischman and, um, and just the stage we are in our lives. When you're young, so much is left unwritten, right? And like, you Mm -hmm. just don't know where life will take you. And then in middle age, you're kind of like, well, now I pretty much know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and there can be good things about that, but there can also be, you know, some ambivalence about knowing how it all turns out. And there is something exciting about having something in your life where you're not sure how it's going to turn out. And speaking of that, you know, going back to my recommendation of beef, that literally is the one of the foundational themes of that as well, is this idea of doing something just to surprise yourself. And that's literally what Shauna says here, right? That she didn't want to be the boring version of herself. She wanted to force herself to be uncomfortable, basically. And I think that's something we all, like you said, in much less severe ways, we all kind of try <laughs> to you know, ask ourselves these questions when we get older in our lives as well. Let me just say, it was such a quick moment in the diner at the beginning of that scene where um, they're sitting in this typical New Jersey diner and Jeff says, I think I know where it all went wrong. It was the strawberry lube. And you see the waitress is approaching and she just turns on her heel and walks away as soon as (laughs) she hears that. (laughs) It's like when they're just checking in, they're like, no, not now. I love that. Jeff decides to be spontaneous. This is the moment he decides to be romantic. What's his I idea? Love this. Throw caution to the wind and go to Colonial Williamsburg and I mean, <laughs> Atlantic City is right there, man. <laughs> right. 
Like, why? Why would you choose? And in so many other places on the way to Colonial Williamsburg, Cape May, for example. I mean, depending on what you're looking for, you you really don't have to drive that far and you really don't need to churn butter. I was about to say, but Sona, do you tr- can you churn butter in Atlantic City? <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's a metaphor, no. <laughs> and then this is, they almost hit somebody, they jump out of the car. Turns out it's just a ruse. It's a carjacker. Very well-dressed and uh, composed carjacker, by the way. Not not a stereotype at all. Well, but also, who wants to carjack a minivan? Yeah, the word, yes, exactly. This is like, on its face, a rusted out minivan. Although, in the defense of this show, and I'm, I'm not sure anyone's even thought about it this much, that the cars that are being stolen now are the older cars, because they, you know, like yeah. the newer cars, all the parts are lasered with their VIN numbers, and there's all these yeah. new ways to keep you from reselling them so it's the old junkie cars that need the car the parts so maybe it's legitimate possible regardless of all that this is a very funny interaction shauna disarms a carjacker immediately jeff still hands his keys over to this guy (laughs) well they were in the ignition so while they were bickering (laughs) oh were they in the ignition i thought he actually handed it to them no he said they were in the ignition oh he just left them in oh okay Mm -hmm. he just and then uh, I love this whole conversation where Sean is like saying, why did you let him have the car? He goes, he had a gun. And he goes, no, I have the gun. <laughs> <laughs> and then Jeff makes some, some valid points here. First of all, he goes, who are you, Rambo? <laughs> and he goes, "You're. are we going to die for the this POS minivan? Yeah. And she goes, no, it also had my purse. And, <laughs> the joy from Callie's when their daughter toys, was six. Yeah. All, all of our quarters. It's very important stuff in that car. <laughs> Jeff just is annoyed and walks away. Later that day, Jeff is at the gym. He runs into Kevin. A very weird place to have this confrontation that just happened to be at the gym. I guess it makes sense because how else are they going to run into each other? They just happen to right. look at the local gym. That makes more sense, I guess. Well, they the are neighbors like, though, right? So, I yeah. mean, they could have figured out something else. But... They could have been jogging. They could have been walking a dog, whatever. It, right. It's just, I guess, hey, whatever. <laughs> just another location to use. Yeah. Kevin brings up the fact that they had hundreds, hundreds of mm-hmm. messages back and forth. <clears throat> Even if they don't have the contents of it, there's no way they, and I like that Jeff does the party line thing where he goes, well, you know, they had that fender bed. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if you've ever had a fender bed. They definitely have not texted the person. You basically say, here's the quote. <laughs> yeah. And then the work is done here. Please get ready to check to this. <laughs> like five exchanges, not hundreds of exchanges. But Jeff says, I know my wife. And none of this is convincing. And by the way, this actor does a great job of trying to be macho, but also feeling like he's just not a good liar. It's very hard to play that you're acting badly when you're an actor, I think. And he does a really good job of it here. Yeah, that's a good point. And I also think it's interesting. This is not really the point of what you're saying, but I feel like it's just a redemption arc for this character over this Mm -hmm. season, right? Because I find him very likable this year and he was very unlikable last year. I think that's why... Casting is so important. Last year, we had to not know much about him so that he could be the mystery. Yes, maybe he's blackmailing them. Yeah. But, you know, this is what's so important to like cast these roles well. We just talked about this week when we were talking about Succession. And you think about Alan Ruck early on mm-hmm. in that show, you feel like, why did they get this guy to play this role? He's like, so he's barely in the show at all. And then, of course, when he needs to step up, you're like, oh, well, that's why you get somebody like that, because mm-hmm. he can do anything, right? So at late at night, here we go. We're in the night here again, and things always get darker here on the show when it's nighttime. Shauna has tracked, because she had her purse in the car, she's tracked her phone back to the chop shop. 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 And there's an incredible scene here, an incredible scene where she Mm -hmm. meets the guy who runs the shop, and she's shaking when she pulls out that gun. And he goes, there's a big difference between holding a gun and shooting a gun. And she's like, I'm not shaking because I'm afraid to pull the trigger. I'm shaking because I can't wait to pull the trigger. I can see your hand shaking. This is cute and all, but I don't have time. Have to... you ever peeled the skin off a human corpse? It's not as easy as you might think. It's really uh, stuck on us skin. You have to roll back just the edges of it. So you can get a good enough grip to, to really pull, which again, isn't easy. People are always so sweaty when you kill them. Just like oily. 
there's a look people get when they realize they're going to die. It's that one. My hand wasn't shaking because I was afraid. It was shaking because of how badly I wanted to do this. Shauna's got some demons. She absolutely does. She's barely containing them. Felt like a real Walter White turn of events for (laughs) Shauna. She is the one who knocks. But also, I think it was a a great illustration of all the stuff she's struggling with. A lot of what she said reminded me, I personally don't have any experience with this, but you know, when young girls or young, young women, maybe even older women cut themselves, I have heard the explanation that like they do that because they want to feel something and like have control over what they're feeling. It kind of like reminded me of that. Like she's doing this just to like feel something because her life has become so predictable. Although in this moment, it's not. But but previous previous to the murder, um, (laughs) it felt like she was just so desperate to feel alive in her mind's definition of alive, that she's brought herself to this. And what's really disturbing is that there's an indication there, first of all, that not only that she is looking for something to jumpstart her again, or to make her feel something again, but it's also that it feels like there's something suppressed and it is a really violent and ugly uh, personality. And then she says thank you to the guy and slips back into that role. Right. Suburban mom. Yeah, I think that that is how she sees herself, that that is still the version of herself that she thinks that she is. It's not like the Walter White analogy where like when he is the gangster, he's 100% gangster and it's the other role that's make-believe. Mm-hmm. She seems to mm-hmm. really think that she's that other person and that this is something that she is not, right? That it's just circumstance. But I don't know. I, I think that she is bloodthirsty, like legitimately, and that we're seeing it here. It's not just that to me, which I agree with, but also the recklessness of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like this really is a dangerous situation for her to be in where her life could be in danger. Like right. she doesn't know what she's walking into. She doesn't know who who else could be there and what weapons they have. Right. right? Yep. Her judgment is really, really bad here as far as like self-preservation. Um, and I think same thing with the Adam situation, right? With killing him and covering up the murder. We've talked about how badly she did that. She's a very reckless person in these moments. So you actually see that moment where she weighs out, if I kill this guy right now, can I get away with it? Right. And then she decides not to do it. But it is really disturbing, right? That at that moment, if she knew she was going to get off scot-free, she probably would have murdered him. It's really like a very dark aspect of her. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if we'll see more and more of this as time goes by. Yeah, because it feels like she's looking for an excuse to let that dark side of her out, right? Like this was like, like he said, this was over a minivan. Yeah, it's like what she says earlier on when she goes, I'm shaking because I'm barely able to keep myself from murdering you right now. Yes. (laughs) Because I want to do it. It's just so exciting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay, so now we get towards the end of the episode. In the past, Natalie's um, very cynical about Lottie again. She's kind of pushing back on this control Lottie has over the group. She has stitched this symbol into this blanket that she's made for Shauna. Mm -hmm. And that's what kind of incites this whole thing. Shauna suddenly starts to bleed from her nose. The blood gets onto the blanket and there's some symbolism there that it gets onto this symbol. And then we hear all this noise outside and it is these birds that have fallen all around the cabin. And Shauna symbolically, or in some way, she gets some bad vibes about her blood being on this blanket and drops the blanket. The other girls start to gather up the birds and put them in front of Lottie. But not all of them, right? There seems to be a division here, right? Between who is going along with honoring the birds or whatever phrase she used there about collecting the birds energy or whatever it might've been. And the ones who are kind of like, listen, I'm drawing the line at handling the possibly diseased birds. Are you eating these birds, by the way? I'm eating these birds. I mean, it seems like you could at least try a wing and see. <laughs> I'm eating these birds because you could definitely have diseased birds that like, you know, just drop dead. Don't get me wrong. That can definitely happen. 
but a whole flock of diseased birds like that can't possibly they all die at the same time they all die at the same time it does seem unlikely by the way is this related to the drip 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 sound or is this independent of the drip sound i don't know i did think that that was interesting that they called that out earlier right because it was mari hearing it Right. And then I think we also heard it in that scene with Van and Thaisa. There was another time that I heard yeah. the dripping. I think there there is an underground area of this in next week. So maybe that's where the dripping is going. But what we can mm, say that okay. last, last final thoughts. They definitely are trying to draw us attention to that dripping sound. So maybe someone will explore it next time and that'll lead us to yeah. that underground. And I think Maori's the one who goes down climbing those ladders, that ladder, right? So it's possible that that is um, coming next week. Anyway, I do agree with you. I think it's worth at least trying a wing <laughs> and, and making sure you survive that. And then maybe just a little bit of time, just, you know. Hey, boil it up in a stew. You know, whatever's in there, you, it'll die in, in the fire. It's okay. Mm-hmm. In uh, the present tense, we have Natalie and Lottie back at the compound. Natalie's wearing a little bit of purple now. So maybe she's coming to the over to the side. Lottie tries to goad Natalie into participating. She does almost do so. But then... Uh, she decides not to. So that's when Lottie tells Lisa to stand up. Tell Natalie how you feel about the fork to the face you got the other day. And she got really angry. She goes, we tried to save your life. We did save your life, is what she said. Honor your anger, is what Lottie says. She hands her the fork. She goes at Natalie, but she hugs her and says that she forgives her. Is this convincing to Natalie, do you think? I think Natalie is an extremely cynical person. Right. I don't think she's buying into it. But I do think she wants something to believe in, right? Right. So there's probably a part of her, and I think she even says this in the episode of like, how nice it must be to believe in stuff like this. But I don't think at her core, no, I think she's too cynical for that. I think she might be curious enough to pursue it, though, because I think this whole theme of this episode from the very beginning like near those opening shots where she's peeking through the window and like walking by, like she's casually walking by, but she's definitely like snooping in. She's seeking something, right? Nothing's worked for her. So maybe she's open to it in some way, despite the fact she can't get past her cynicism. I think that's the important part about this scene is showing that she may choose to stick around a little bit longer rather than, because based on last week, she could have left today, but of course she has not. And she's and another night fell and she's going to be around again. And then we get to the last scene. Lottie goes to check on the bees. So this is actually cut, intercut with that sequence where we see the birds all dying in the past. And now, of course, we see all the dead bees in this mm-hmm. present tense. But it turns out it's not true, right? It's actually just a vision. But when she's having this vision, she opens the the bee hive and she sees it's full of blood. And then right. in French, we hear someone say, the vision of blood. And then she says, excuse me? And there's right. someone actually there and says, are you having dinner with us? Like, not even close, by right. the way. <laughs> but right. uh, yeah, so the vision of blood. She's having the vision of blood, what that means. I'm not sure what it is. But Tori Amos tells us on the soundtrack that whatever is coming can't be stopped. <laughs> I hadn't picked up on that. <laughs> so you can't stop what's coming, whatever it happens to be. And next uh, week, we see the present tense stuff, as usual in the show, is very unclear <laughs> what we're seeing. Just seeing people talking to the camera angrily. <laughs> But it uh, looks pretty clear that we see Mari has found some kind of hatch with a stairs. I mean, they have openly said, the creators of the show, that Lost is an inspiration. If they have a hatch in those stairs That's going down. That's pretty obvious. Yeah. And if there's somebody, by the way, like that theory that someone already had earlier, and this isn't my theory, it's from the internet, that there's been someone messing with them that lives, is like basically has access to that location, then yeah, there might be some underground compound and there might be someone, Desmond, was Desmond, was that his name? <laughs> like down yes. in that hatch. It'd I mean, God help me if someone's pushing a button every 42 minutes or whatever it was. <laughs> and there's some numbers that are being broadcast, <laughs> which caused the plane crash. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Where are we going? Uh, How did you like this episode versus last episode? Where, where are you? I definitely liked it better than last episode, you know, probably because of the whole cannibalism situation. Yeah. I continue to be concerned about the supernatural element and how it's all going to play out. I don't love the flash of that hatch thing, mm-hmm. yep. which I don't think is necessarily related to the supernatural thing. It might be, it might not be, but I just don't like it. There's so much to do with the real world situation that these people yep. are in. I just don't understand why you need to add that. You know, that being said, like those are my personal tastes, right? And there's no reason that they 
can't have that. It just, you know, maybe makes the show a little bit less my type of thing than it is somebody else's. Yeah, I feel like they also have gone a little too much in the the mythology now. I think it, it's a little it's a little much for me. But uh, but I still very much enjoy that. Like for example, Walter and Misty, uh, Shauna and her yes. husband. <laughs> and, and the murder that. investigation, all of that is good stuff. Yeah, I mean, like all that is what I think is the most interesting part of the show. And unfortunately, I think that, you know, in some ways, the less they explained about the the actual details of the mythology from the past, the more engaging it is for me in general. That's kind I of agree. where I am at. But agree. of course, that, that puzzle box element of the show is probably what makes it so popular. So we're probably not going to win that argument, unfortunately. Right. All right. With uh, all that being said, thank you for the conversation. Thank you. And we will talk about succession in a few more days. That's right. Yep. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Now she seems to be sad under his shoes. There's nothing I can do. Can't stop what's coming. Can't stop what is on its way. Can't stop what's coming. Can't stop what is on.